The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with my usual co-host, Jonah Bronstein. He's of the new Bronstein Times and being joined again after never having him on the show ever. He's now on for the second time in a short period. Joe Biscali of The Athletic. It is draft week and uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to probably talk about a uh, little NBA playoffs um, we're going to talk, uh, at least I should say right off the top, I think this is going to be the last time with my insufferable microphone. Uh, the good folks at The Athletic are sending me a new one. Uh, if you stick with it for about a minute and a half, this, this thing will regulate itself for some reason. I don't do anything. I don't fiddle with the knobs. I don't do anything. It'll just regulate itself. So obviously I'm blown out right now, or at least I assume I am. And uh, Eventually, it'll just kick in and start playing nice. So I just want to get that out of the way. Joe Biscalia, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. It's uh, this this week is probably like my favorite of the entire year, if I'm honest. It's kind of how I cut my teeth in the industry, and then uh, you know, it's I I don't follow it as closely during the college football season as as I used to, but uh, once we get past like the playoffs being done, dive real deep into it. It's, it's a lot of fun to try and figure out what's going on. I'll go ahead and give my preamble regarding uh, the draft mock drafts. Uh, and it's why I have Joe on is because I don't follow it. I find it to be so much wasted energy. I'm not saying that Joe is wasting his energy. I find it that it is so I guess I get so easily aggravated and frustrated that I know that I'm writing about somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, or analyzing somebody who almost certainly won't be on the team. And so, but it's part of the exercise and I get it. People who are into the draft, you, you want to explore all the players as potential bills, kind of, and then you know all about them when the Jets draft them or the Dolphins draft them or the Steelers draft them. I mean, it's, I get it. It's a, it's a, it's a process, but to me, I think I'm just so on the surface when it comes to the draft, I am more of the, along the line of tell me who they're getting. And then I'll tell you all about it. It's the beauty of the unknown that uh, really does it for people. I mean, you can't screw it up unless you're the Jets in, in draft time. Like, it's, it's the universal rule. It, as long as you do something that doesn't completely tick off your fan base, then you're going to be just fine. Um, and even when you do tick off the fan base, like not to, 
you know, really get into it right, right at the start here. But back in 2018, the majority of people did not love the Josh Allen pick here in Buffalo, but they kind of came around to it. Obviously he outplayed that draft position. Now as one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but you know, it, the initial impact of it was like, whoa, what, what are they doing here? Why are they taking such a wild swing on this guy? And they were proven right. So even if you don't end up liking the pick by the time Thursday is done, you know, there's, there's probably a, a, a pretty safe chance that you're going to embrace it by some point, maybe, you know, probably mid June, I think is the spot where people start to get over it. And they're like, no, that's my guy. Now that's my guy. And it's the eternal op- optimism approach. What was your take on the draft on the Josh Allen pick? I, uh, I really <clears throat> liked him as a prospect. Um, I think there was, you know, for me, I, I was higher on Josh Rosen than I, than I should have been because I saw a lot of the accuracy within the pocket at that point, we really didn't know Brandon Bean's tendencies at all because it was his first draft. And we didn't really realize that he loves measurables, elite traits, everything like that. That's how he usually swings in the first round. And that's kind of why I was not all the way in on the Josh Allen pick just in terms of projecting it. But, you know, once we've gotten to know Brandon Bean, we, we see it like, okay, that has hit his type too at absolute T. I mean, super raw. I mean, I remember going back and watching every single one of his games at right after they drafted him. And it's like, Oh, I, I see why they really like him, but it's going to take some work here. And they completely reformatted his, uh, his entire throwing structure to a couple of different elements, like throwing left. They, they uh, made his step go a little bit, uh, not as far to the left where he opens up his hips. Like these are all things that they had to work on early with him but they did it. So in that respect, it was a, it was a great pick, but yeah, I, 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 I whiffed on that one. Cause I thought they were going to, uh, they would have liked Rosen more than him. This is where my approach serves me well, right? Sure. Uh, I believe it's, <laughs> it's healthy for me because when people will say, well, what do you think of the Josh Allen pick? My response was always, I have no idea. We're going to find out. We're, let's wait and see. Uh, he could be great. Uh, you know, I, I know what the pluses are. I know what the minuses are uh, I, of the of the scouting reports coming out. Uh, let's give the guy a chance. Let's see what happens. As opposed to a lot of people who just had to dig in and, uh, and I guess, defend their pre-draft grades, which is a danger uh, in hmm. this line of work, in this, in this draft cottage industry. Uh, you get so many people who... Um, not only do they, they, um, you know, they give you the mock draft and then they'll come out with their immediate grades, which are what based on their own mock drafts, right? Um, Confirmation bias. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, it, kinda, it's, it's weird that way. Uh, you, you take a healthy approach to it, Joe. I've always respected the way that you do it. Uh, I appreciate it's not that. the way that I, I just can't do it. I just can't get there. And that's why I'm glad that you're my teammate and anywhere <laughs> I've ever been, I've always had a teammate who was into the draft going back to Alan Wilson at the Buffalo news and be like, man, this is all you. Um, I don't, I don't watch college football much. Um, my Saturdays are generally a day for me to disconnect from, from football. And um, so, yeah, I'll just rely on your, on your expertise, which is why we're having you here on the show. Well, to me, it's like trying to figure out a puzzle and I love doing that stuff and 
you know, trying to, you know, um, you know, go off context clues, historical data, um, you know, certain liens of how they, uh, and this is a total bills approach rather than a, a macro level draft approach, but, you know, how they um, build their roster throughout, throughout time. And I think you can learn a lot just by looking on their history and, and um, what they valued in the past and projecting it into the future, because, you know, there's the reason why this year is so intriguing about them is because they don't have like a premium need every single year before this one, when Brandon Bean has been drafting, it's been quarterback, you know, spent one on a middle linebacker, which they view as premium three technique defensive tackle, which they think is a huge position in their scheme. And then last year was the pass rusher with Greg Rousseau that those have been their first four first round picks under Bean. But this year, what do they need? Second cornerback, which they've kind of just gotten by with for the past five years. Um, interior offensive line, Brandon Bean has not spent anything more than a fifth round pick on a guard only since he's gotten here. Uh, tight end, which, you know, maybe they still have Dawson Knox, but, and there really isn't a tight end to, to take there. Um, safety, but they still have Poyer and Hyde linebacker, but they still have Edmonds and Milano and then running back, which everyone hates the idea of taking a running back in the first round. So all of the, those are their main needs and wide receiver. I'll throw that in there, but they still have Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis and Jamison Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie. So it's totally in the air because a core building block that, that you usually use for a first round pick. I mean, it's, this is kind of the year where it's the exception to the rule rather than what they normally do. Sounds like a lot of needs, though. I think you listed more positions than they have picks. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, those are like would like to have needs rather than gotta have sort of thing. And I know a lot of people look at like cornerback as gotta have it, absolutely have to have it. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot of clues from Bean and McDermott's past that show us that it's not as much of a slam dunk as – a lot of people think it is. And then when you add in the, the cornerback element to it of the draft prospects, like a guy I, I respected throughout the whole thing is Jim Nagy, who is the executive director of the senior bowl, 18 year scout said, you know, cornerbacks average class. There's some fool's gold in the early rounds. Those that's the exact term he used. I'm like, eh, I don't really know if that's really what you want to do, especially when you haven't really given that much attention to that second cornerback spot since since uh, Bean has been here. So uh, it's uh, all those needs. That's why it's wide open in that first round. And that's why I think you're seeing a lot of variance in terms of positions that are being mocked to the bills. Let's get out the shovel here and let's uh, look at the cornerback position. Joe, you talked about reading the tea leaves and how much you enjoy that. Uh, That certainly came through in your recent cornerback analysis piece in which you take a look at how Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have approached that position. Um, And we're always talking about the second boundary cornerback because Tredavious White has been here uh, the entire time that Sean McDermott has been here. Uh, And yes, they took him with their first pick uh, that year uh, when, when Sean McDermott came in and you look at that as, wow, what a building block piece for the organization. This is how Sean McDermott builds it. That was pre Brandon Bean. That was Doug Whaley was still the general manager, but 
Since then, uh, you, you took a look at what they do at the position, not only in the draft, uh, but also through free agency. They don't invest in this position. Uh, they don't invest money in free agency uh, like we saw with Levi Wallace. They don't invest draft capital in this position. So, but the one, the one caveat or asterisk regarding this is, and you mentioned, yes, Tredavious White here, not a premium need. Premium need, again, maybe from the outside world, the general football consensus, but within the Bills organization, this hasn't been a premium need position. They've never shown it to be. They've made do. Um, but to me, the, the asterisk is you're not really just – you wouldn't really just be drafting your second cornerback. For a majority of the season, you'd be drafting potentially your best cornerback uh, your lead cornerback because Tredavious White coming back from that ACL injury. So again, that's me with my big setup, my big windup for your piece. Um, and how, what you think all of that means for Thursday and Friday. Yeah, I think there's uh, the Tredavious White piece is really important to acknowledge right at the outset, because it all depends on when they think he could potentially get back. Right. I mean, he, suffered the injury late November on Thanksgiving night, uh, wound up having the surgery on December 15th, according to Jordan Poyer. Um, so that would put the nine month uh, time frame at uh, September 15th, right in the middle of September, which is just at the start of the season. So that's usually the rule of thumb for torn ACLs, the, the nine month return date. Some, some uh, players beat that. Some players take a little bit longer, but, I think for the most part, it's a it's a safe rule of thumb. And if they're only without Tredavious White for, let's say, the first month and a half of the season, is that really the worst case scenario? Is that worth to them using a premium building block of a first round piece when they have not really invested in that second boundary position at all, like like you just laid out. I mean, there's so many different examples throughout uh, throughout time. Brandon Bean has not, <clears throat> excuse me, has not taken a boundary cornerback in in the first five rounds in any of the four drafts he's been with the Bills. Um, they have only signed stopgap veteran solutions like EJ Gaines, Sharice Wright, Philip Gaines, Kevin Johnson, um, EJ Gaines again. Uh, Josh Norman last year, Levi Wallace was the stopgap guy on, on a one-year deal. So that's, that's kind of it. And they still really like Dane Jackson. And I thought that really came through in the pre-draft press conference last week from what Brandon Bean was talking about. He it was a pretty, pretty good defense of the guy rather than waffling at all. Um, so if they were to have Dane Jackson in the starting lineup, I feel like they would be completely fine with it. And they still have 10 million in cap space. And there's like three corners out there right now with a lot of experience that they, they could go and sign right now. They could always trade for James Bradbury of the Giants if they really wanted to, send a future pick down Joe Shane and Brian Dable's way. And then they, they solve a need right then and there. So there's a lot of different avenues here that don't involve investing your top uh, draft resource in a position that you have not believed in. And it goes even deeper than just the first four drafts of Bean. We have a pretty large sample size of what Bean and McDermott do um, with 
the draft or what Bean has been a part of um, when McDermott has has been the defensive coordinator for a long time now. I mean, he was you know, basically second in charge with Carolina um, for all the years that that Sean McDermott was their defensive coordinator, and so that's a total of ten drafts, not including the Tredavious White draft because Sean McDermott was basically the GM of that, and Bean wasn't there. In those ten drafts, the Panthers slash Bills have only taken a boundary cornerback in the first five rounds three times once in 2012 josh norman uh who was a fifth round pick and then twice in 2016 which was uh james bradbury in in the second round late second and then daryl worley in the in the late third so you look at all of that history it's just not something that they have really invested a lot of resources into because part of it is they believe so firmly that they can get the most out of anyone at that position. And they've been proven right all the way across the board. Tredavious, well, I, just, in, just in Buffalo alone, Tredavious White, Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace, there's a bunch there. I think there's also an element of cap management too, and not just yeah. of the short term, but we're talking long term. If you draft a cornerback early and he works out, he's going to make a lot of money. Uh, and it's difficult when you already have Tredavious White on your roster making a lot of money to have so much dedicated to one position, as important as that position is, when you still need to pay your franchise quarterback and all these other things. So to me, I wonder how much through his research that he's done, going back to being a part of the Carolina Panthers front office, to where Brandon Bean has maybe gotten away from the 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 general line of thinking in the NFL that cornerback is the third most important position on the field. Some would even say second, perhaps uh, after quarterback edge rusher, maybe even left tackle, but still, I think a lot of people look at cornerback and just want to throw a ton of money at it. Yeah. Uh, and the bills have to have looked at this at some point and said, we need to watch what we do here uh, yeah. because we need to spread it around a little bit. I think a lot of it has to do with the scheme that they run too, because they are not a man heavy scheme. They are mostly zone uh, probably about 75 to 80% of the time, maybe, maybe a little bit less than 75, but still predominantly zone defense. And they look for certain things out of their prospects and it doesn't necessarily have to be can turn and run, and, and, you know, be on an island with, with a receiver. That's just not the case most times in their scheme. You know, there are some instances where they're in man, they get caught, and you see Levi Wallace getting beat down the field on, on a fly route. That, it, it will happen from time to time. I would argue that the second boundary cornerback position is the least important of the five defensive back positions that they have out there every single week. I mean, the, the top cornerback position is really important and they have that in Tredavious White and they have him locked in for the next three years at least. Um, then you have Taron Johnson, who's basically a linebacker because he's part of their base defense. That's super important. They paid him a bunch of money uh, uh, during the season last year to keep him around. Then you have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, who, you know, safety is very sneakily one of the most important positions on their entire defensive scheme because they do so much and it's so subtle how much that they do. I mean, Micah Hyde takes away that deep middle so often. I mean, it was on display in the Patriots uh, playoff game with that ridiculous interception, but 
just even his mere presence takes the idea of throwing the ball deep down the sideline away from a lot of different teams. They just won't test it because he's, he's that good. Jordan Poyer is great down in the box. And um, they, both those guys have the um, ability to switch positions uh, with the other and just to give different, different uh, looks to a, to an offense. And so you have those four spots that are so important. And by the way, I mean, we've been talking about boundary cornerback this whole time, but safety is like the sneakiest big need that they have right now, because Jordan Poyer is not happy with his contract. Tim, you, uh, you um, communicated with Drew Rosenhaus and Rosenhaus said, we've approached the bills for an extension, not the other way around, mind you. And even when Brandon Bean was talking about it uh, last week, there was never any hint that it's something that they wanted to take care of. It was a lot of, you know, we love Jordan uh, and, and, you know, we want him here, but sometimes business is business. And, and he was asked about um, projecting Jordan forward, even outside of the realm of, of contract stuff. And, and he's like, well, I think of it as the now. Okay. So you think of it as the now in the past, but you don't think about it as the future because this guy is uh, an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. It was, I, I thought it was somewhat telling, maybe a slight hint because, you know, they're leaving their options open. There's some, there's three really good first round safety prospects this year. I think that's, that's a really sneaky spot for them. And as you say, as important as that position is, maybe it's time to reload. Because right. and have the guy waiting. You, you're not bringing him in to take over for Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer, but in a couple of years, if if that position's so important to you, you're going to want him groomed. You're going to want him under the tutelage of Hyde and Poyer, learning the ropes, learning the defense. Makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah, and that's the. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I've got my annual draft files dropping over at the Athletic on Tuesday morning, and yeah, I know. What? I, I spent way too much time. Uh, our our editor is going to kill me because it's way too long, but it's it's, it's fine. Um, and the one quote, wait I went a back minute, and, what? Go on. If that's going to keep him busy, how come he's been up my ass? <laughs> Sounds to me like he's got enough to worry about. I just filed it at one o'clock, so maybe there was some time in between. Um, this morning it happened this morning is when it happened there you go there's your smoking gun uh and the the quote that i that i went back and found was from last year's pre-draft pre-draft press conference from brandon bean and he essentially said you know even if it doesn't fill a an immediate need you know let's say we have a guy entering the final year of his deal we'll bring in that we'll bring in uh the player to compete uh with with that with that uh, incumbent player. And then, you know, it, if, if they decide to move on from the other player, then, then they'll have a natural replacement. And that speaks to the theory of that the bills do not generally like to play their rookies a bunch. Um, really the only exceptions straight out of the gate was Zay Jones, ironically enough, uh, Tredavious White and Tremaine Edmonds. Everybody else had to go through a certain, waiting period to get into the starting lineup in their rookie season, or they were just rotational players all the way through. It's not part of their development. Sean McDermott believes in the rookie wall. It's all very real. So that's part of the, I guess, 
the emphasis against cornerback uh, in the first round, because if they don't really like to play their rookies hundred percent anyway, then why force the cornerback spot in, in an average class that, you know, that may not end up helping you a ton in the first year if, if they, if they had their way. So there's, there's a lot to chew on with how they approach building their roster through the first round. And um, that's why I always come back to, they could take a corner. I mean, can't rule it out because it's a need. And if the top guy is on their board, sure. But I just, they're not going to force it. That's, that's what I keep coming back to. And I think there's other, there's better prospects out there at other positions, unless someone completely falls down the board. What do you think about it just in general, say for maybe a few positions, just picking the best player available that this roster is deep enough that you just try to get a first round talent and see where they fit in once they're there. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably the way to go. I think there does need to be some bit of um, foresight into it. Like don't go out there and pick a quarterback. Don't go out there, pick a defensive end because you've done that. How many yeah, times no, yeah, I would years. say the, the whole defensive right. line they've invested so yeah. much. Yeah, they're they're right, good right, there. Right. Um, everything else I think should mostly be on the table. Like maybe not a center in the first round because they just locked in Morse for another couple of years, uh, but everything else should be potentially uh, out there for for the Bills to take at twenty five. And again, like like we like we pointed out at the beginning, like that's why this whole year is such a crapshoot for them and trying to figure out clues of what they can do because they're just they could be all over the board and there's a you can make a good justification for a lot of different spots um and you know i I saw our friend jerry sullivan advocating for a uh an offensive piece and i totally hear uh, hear that side of the argument because they really haven't done that just yet this offseason outside of Jameson Crowder um, just to help their fastball a bit more uh, he brought up the notion of a wide receiver uh, I've been kind of the running back guy since since uh, late March since after free agency uh, because I think Brees Hall fits everything they want to do out of Iowa State even though they uh, even though a lot of people hate the idea of a first round running back and it goes against um, general draft analytics and everything like that. We're starting to see the Bills getting a running back with their first pick in mock drafts over the past couple of weeks. Do you think yeah. that's just in in response to what Brandon Bean said at his most recent availability, where he kind of he said that we do have first round grades on running backs, but it, mm-hmm. is there or there or is there more to that? Do you think that people are starting to um, tap into the the idea that the Bills can go running back there? I think a fair bit of both. And um, it it was, it should have raised everyone's eyebrows when Brandon Bean admitted that they have had multiple running backs on there with a first round grade throughout the time that he's been there. Uh, Like when, when he said that I I wrote that over at the athletic and the first comment was, Oh, okay. So he had Saquon Barkley, a first round grade. So what? It's like, no, he said plural, plural. So whether it was Josh Jacobs or, Rashad Penny or um, oh, what was that guy's name? David Wilson, who was a first round pick. Uh, I, I would tend to think it was Barkley. I think he probably had a first round grade on Josh Jacobs. I think he probably had a first round grade on Travis Etienne last year. And as much as, you know, 
the generally conceived preconceived notions about what to do with the draft, I think the Bills would have had a really tough decision if it was Travis Etienne versus Greg Rousseau last year. And I think they might have gone Etienne over him. So because of that, that's why it, they are totally fine with the idea of adding a running back. And it just makes so much sense for what they're trying to do now, right? Because Sean McDermott has been um, a huge proponent of and, and making some not so, not so subtle jabs at the offensive coordinator's way when they do not have the threat to run. And they started getting going once they started utilizing more two tight end sets. They went out this offseason, invested in O.J. Howard. Now they have two tight ends that can give them a little bit more of a vari- variable look. Um, I think they want to run more zone uh, schemes in terms of blocking i think they, they lost out on jd mckissick a receiving threat out of the backfield that, that too they, that too and they really lack the home run threat and the reason why i think Brees hall makes so much sense for them is because great zone runner um has that home run explosive ability has the contact balance to break a bunch of tackles ha- has the pass catching experience i think he caught over 40 passes last year for iowa state um he's he's workable as a pass blocker in the backfield like that's the that's the biggest difference between him and Kenneth Walker. You know, Walker, whether or not he caught passes, that's all well and good. He can he can catch the ball. He's a football player. But um, the way that I, I saw it written by our guy Dane Brugler um, in his annual uh, The Beast Draft Guide uh, was low batting average as a pass blocker and his technique needs to be rebuilt from the ground up guilty of half-hearted cuts or shoulder chips. So when, when you have that element to it, that guy is not playable on third downs right now. Brees Hall is playable on third downs can give you a one, two punch with him and Devin Singletary. And even though the, the draft cost might be a little bit insane to some people, I don't think the bills would, would lose any sleep by taking Brees Hall. I think their offense would be instantly better with him there. What do you think about the trend, or maybe it's not a real trend, but it's, it's been apparent. The Bills haven't used – they've used one first-round pick on an offensive player, that being Josh Allen, with this regime. It sort of seemed like a little bit of a strategy to fill this defense with first-round picks year after year, and that's worked in a lot of franchises doing it that way. Yeah, I, that is interesting. You know, I, I get so in the weeds with with the draft year that I forget about stuff like that. Um, but, but, yeah, that uh, – and you could throw Epinesa in there, even though maybe you would say Stephon yeah. Diggs was a first-round pick that they traded. But right, right, their, right. Their highest pick has been a defensive player every year, but one. Yeah, and I think that that probably just. I'm even going to say a... Josh Allen was a defensive player because he's a linebacker who plays quarterback. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if it's maybe it's written in Sean McDermott's contract. We're going <laughs> to have the first round that they need to take a first-round guy. Year. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they could be. Uh, I think it might be like a victim of circumstance based on what's available every single year. But I mean, even to that point, like, you know what I think I'm going to throw up just some, some chum to some, some folks out there who love to talk about it. I think he was just, uh, it was McDermott and Bean sticking at the Brian Dable. Yeah, it was maybe. all over the rift. It was the rift. And they're like, look, Dave's you're going to have to start running the ball more if you want us to help you out in the draft. I think it's a smart way to build a defense. roster, but I could also see Sean McDermott maybe wanting defensive players more. Maybe it's not written 
in the draft plan, but when it comes down to this guy or that guy, the head coach being more fired up about the defensive player than the offensive player more often than not. Mm-hmm. I think, I think uh, some of it could have to do with once you have that quarterback piece makes everything better around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the defense is just an uphill slog every single year because you, you can't predict what you're going to be on defense from one year to the next. All you can do is continue to add pieces to try and continue that consistency. But defense defense is like really random um, based on a random bounce of the ball off a, off a shoulder pad or, or maybe a a safety doesn't catch uh, an interception. Maybe the ball uh, bounces off a forced fumble a different way and changes the whole, the, the whole outcome potentially, there's just so many different little random facets to it where you can't predict it, but you can control it as much as the talent that you have out there, at least with the offensive side of things. You know, once you have those two or three, maybe four uh, key spots locked in, which are quarterback, top receiver, um, center for the Bills, which they believe heavily in, and then left tackle, then you can kind of get by in a lot of different spots. You would like to have better talent and that's why you use later round picks on them, but you, you can certainly get by a little bit more. Um, so Gabriel Davis has been a, a revelation for them as a fourth round pick. Dawson Knox is a third round pick. Uh, Devin Singletary played really well last year, but you know, the rest of the spots, what have they invested in their offensive line outside of center and left tackle? Like I said before, they haven't taken a guard earlier than the fifth round. And that was Wyatt Teller who they wound up trading. Um, they haven't taken a guard in the top five rounds since, uh, right tackle. They, uh, tried to draft Cody Ford to it. That didn't work. Then drafted Spencer Brown with a third round pick, still not a first round pick. It's, I think they, they believe the premium spots more often than not lie on, on the defensive side. Once you have that offensive piece figured out. So I, I, or maybe it's just random, you know, it could be just like who's on the board, who's good that year, but you know, I, I think it's probably a combination of the, of the two. The Bills had fantastic luck with Tredavious White, but there are no guarantees with the 25th pick. Mm-hmm. And no matter who you take, you know, the chance of that person starting right away is probably not great, not only because they generally don't start that late in the draft uh, and what we've already said about Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and how they, how they look at that type of player. Um, a rookie, I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, then there are just so many variables. You know, you're you're banking so much on if and you hope and trying to get this guy in the system, and and just 25 is just because it's a first round pick doesn't mean the guy's going to be starting on opening day and making an impact. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think it's a it's a crucial draft, or maybe from a macro sense, the Bills are entering a stage of crucial drafts because the way the cap shaping up in contracts, they got to hit on these picks and it's not necessarily going to help or, or we're going to see the benefit this season. But if they miss on the first round pick two, three, four years in a row or several times in that period, then four years down the line, that's what you're going to be pointing to. Almost like what we see with the Sabres. You don't see it until they get to the league and they're there for a few years and you say, yeah, that first round pick, look who we could have had instead. Um, and it, the degree of difficulty is harder when you're picking later in the round. So I guess – that's a long-winded way of saying, I, you know, they can't make too many luxury picks because they're, in a, they're going to need some players to play eventually. Mm-hmm. And that point you just made probably works against the whole cornerback uh, uh, pick at, at 25 because 
if they um, want to pay some of the some of their own, they have to let someone walk. And they have five key free agents coming up at the end of the season. It's uh, well, not four key free agents, but they do want to sign Ed Oliver to a contract extension. Um, Tremaine Edmonds, Dawson Knox, Jordan Poyer, Devin Singletary. And when keeping in mind that you're probably going to pay Ed Oliver, can you really afford to keep all four of those players, especially when you've got that much cap stuff going on and Josh Allen's uh, cap hit is about to go up to 40 plus million dollars? Probably not. And that's why they kind of have to pick their spots, which which comes back, back to the, the Jordan Poyer stuff, like not really giving a, a hint that they were interested in, in doing the extension uh, and, you know, upgrading his pay that, that kind of raised a couple of flags and he, it, and it's sound logic. I mean, the guy just turned 31, actually today's his birthday. Uh, he just turned 31 today. And are you really going to extend an age 32 safety when declining ability is such a real thing? in the NFL. And once it goes, it's, it's gone. Uh, then you've got Micah Hyde at, at 32 years old past that, and where, you know, you have to kind of start investing into the future. I would not rule out because of what Tim just kind of pointed out that, you know, 25 there's, there's no, and what Jonah pointed out too, what there's no sure thing at, when you get that late in the draft, I would not rule out Brandon Bean trying to make a, a big move up the board. Um, in this draft he he said he doesn't have 32 first round grades that's that's pretty normal but I think there's some guys who could or at least one player in particular that could really pique his interest and cross off a lot of the things that we've been talking about here and then having a core building block potential star moving forward if he can get the right deal and what's also working in his favor is that everybody in the draft this year wants to move down, which means it's a buyer's market and you could probably move up for less than, than you would have previously in, in a quarterback heavy year. So that that's another element to this, to where maybe if Bean sees this one specific player that I'm alluding to, and I'll just say it, Kyle Hamilton from, from Notre Dame, I think he's super compelling uh, for the Bills and, and everything they want to do. Yeah, I was wondering if you knew who the player was or you were trying to <laughs> open dagger there. No, that, that's like the... Uh, that's to me, he just represents everything for, for what they want. I mean, he is the Tremaine Edmonds of safeties, uh, super big, uh, tall. He's, he's at least two inches taller than everybody else uh, in the safety class this year. He's 20 to 30 pounds heavier than everyone else. Um, his, he's got longer arms than, than everybody on the safety class. Uh, he, he's super fluid, can play b- both positions, can play, uh, sub package linebacker this year, if they wanted him to can play nickel can, can go one-on-one against tight ends. Like this is, this is the exact type of guy that Brandon Bean usually moves up for. Um, and I could see him getting really excited if, if Hamilton ends up falling down the board a little bit. Where do you think they guy. would have to go to get, to get value and to, to yeah. not reach where, where would roughly 15, 12 top 20. I'm not sure. Because of the reduced draft costs, I would not rule them out of getting into the top 10 for this guy if they really wanted to, because I don't know that it would be so cost prohibitive that that uh, they'd be like, OK, now nah, we're out. As long as they're not surrendering their first round pick next year, I think anything 
is is on the table. To go well, it could that be the guy. Doug Whaley line of thinking of we'll give right. you our first round pick next year because it's going to be thirty two. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a challenge and to have that much confidence. And I, I think they're they're better than than trying to think that they're just going to be the best team in the NFL or have a late twenties pick or something like that. But I look at that seven pick as the spot where it becomes an actual possibility. Uh, the, the draft stock on Hamilton is all over the place, depending on where you read. Some people have him in the, in the bottom half, of the top 10, like Tony Pauline of, of pro football network, uh, said recently that, you know, many believe he'll get somewhere between 15 to 20. It's probably somewhere between the middle, but if you're being, and you feel like this guy can be a star in your system, they view safety as a premium spot and, he is, uh, and it's going to cost you this year's second rounder. Go get that guy. I mean, it, it, Bean will often say, hey, if there's someone that excites me in this draft, I'm going to do what it takes to go to go get that player within what reason. Do you, what do you think? All right, so we talked about how it would make sense for the Bills to draft mm-hmm. a safety. You know, we talked about it, you know, planning for the future, stay, you know, be groomed under uh, Hyde and Poyer, the whole thing. What do you think Poyer's reaction would be, though? Do you think he'd see it the way we just discussed it? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I mean, would his would his wife? Oh God, <laughs> definitely not. For those who don't um, follow closely enough, uh, Jordan Poyer's wife uh, has been uh, negotiating in public for him and a new contract, and I'm sure the Bills don't love it. I'm sure uh, the Bills view that as a headache they don't need. Yeah. Um, it, I think he'll say it publicly that it's part of the business, um, and which it is. But it doesn't mean Jordan Poyer gets taken off the field this year. I, I mean, we, we just talked about how much. No, but it probably means that his strategy of hiring Drew Rosenhaus oh, yeah. and having Drew Rosenhaus go public with his demand and a belief that maybe he doesn't show up for mandatory workouts or whatever happens, that plan is, has backfired. Mm-hmm. Um, probably that's the way he'll view it or that, yeah. you know, disrespect. It, it could be disrespect, but at some point you have to not worry about everyone's feelings. Um, that's, that's just part of it. And I thought Bean gave a really eloquent answer about having to, you know, not pay people like he wants to pay everybody, but it's just, not always in the car. Sometimes you know what your, I, value, your values you're, differ than what the players value themselves. What I find amusing, and we all, all of us can can comment on this, the, the, the fan reaction to uh, or the contradiction between Stefan Diggs getting his money. And, of course, he scores touchdowns. He's a lot of fun. He makes Josh Allen better. I get it. I mean, I, I understand the, the offensive player. Those are the people that you – you watch and you see on a play-to-play basis. You watch him run routes, even if he might not be getting the ball type thing. But then Jordan Poyer comes out and he wants some money and everybody's like, see you later, dude. I mean, the guy was an all-pro, but there's just mm-hmm. something where the fans are like, adios. He's a bit, he's a bit oh, older. Shit. I just yeah. like, kind of – and I guess it's the defensive – but I, I understand it, but I still find it amusing. I think the concern, just to react to what Joe said, or what you asked Joe, isn't so much that Jordan Poirier is going to stop playing well if there's another safety on the roster. Because I, I think they're going to draft multiple defensive backs at some point in the draft. 
But if they make a big move to go up and get the best safety in the draft or a safety in the top 10 or 15, multiple picks invested in that pick, that really telegraphs where they're going at that position. And it's the leadership that you get out of Poyer and Hyde. And if they feel undercut or like they're playing out the string and not part of the future here, that could really hurt the morale on defense, I believe, if you don't have. And maybe that just happens with Jordan Poyer's contract situation in general. But I think there's a way you can play that and have him play great for you in a contract year if he still feels invested in like that contract extension is a possibility down the line. Yeah, you know how I, I get what you're saying. Um, and I think there's a there's a way to kind of do everything here. If I mean, if they make it clear that, hey, we're not we're not going to extend the past this year, but here's an extra three million. Because they have the cap space for it yeah, if they want right. to. And yeah, that's that's a way to just kind of bridge that gap. Yeah. Just yeah. just toss three mil at them. And and then that way it gets them up to what 13 million um for this season on a per year average. I think he would probably not love that, but he's not gonna look at three million and be like, Well, no, no, I'm out. Um, and he really doesn't have any leverage either. That's that's another part about this. I mean he wants to win, be a part of a Super Bowl team. And he has the leverage he, of being an all pro, which is a great badge. However, yeah, uh, he's he has he's that that leverage is negated by the idea that he wears people out, you know, or at but least no, he's popular old. within the team. I think he has some leverage, as much leverage as, as you can no, have I, in this situation. Well, what I mean, Joan, is that there's not, gonna, there's not going to be a fan pushback if. Here's the thing, and I, the Bills aren't going to do this, and I don't want them to do this. I, I Jordan Poyer's a really good player. He's a great mm-hmm. player. He definitely and he's is. great, especially for that defense. And I, I believe that they need him. I'm just kind of you know rolling this out. But if Brandon Bean were to cut him tomorrow, there would not be a huge pushback from the fans, I don't think. Maybe not, but I think there'd be a huge pushback from because there's, there, and Tom there is that sentiment, like I was talking about. They're like, fuck this guy. Oh, he wants money? Fuck him. It's like, hey, it's not your money, fans. Let that let them figure it out. Like they'll find a way. I just find it interesting that every yeah, you know, but the, the people the, on Twitter that hate Jordan Poyer and his wife because they're anti-vaccine, right? The same as the rest of the. My the point is, there's no, pu- the there's not going to be any public push for. There's zero public sentiment for the Bills. Better take care of this guy, or I'm going to be pissed. What I meant by there's none of that, and what I what I meant by not having any leverage is the way that things are structured. Now it does not benefit him at all to, to have a holdout. Like he could do the, the TJ Watt style hold in if he wanted to, and just like go through the motions during, during practice and, you know, not participate, but not really participate. He could do that, but, but uh, he's not getting paid what he wants this year. And then, you know, if it, it would just be a bad, situation there all could around. be the uh jaris bird slash eugene parker approach or the where also the percy harvin approach where you come up with something that can't be diagnosed mm, uh, yes. and it's like ah play this plantar fasciitis is just i can't run on it could i can't be. run on it or uh, you know what i'm having migraines my yeah. migraine this headaches are, on a podcast are sometimes on Friday. preventing me from performing uh, and no matter how many MRIs you take in my head, that's not going to show up, but I swear to God, uh, it is killing me and I'm not going to be able to practice this week. 
Joe, do you think he could leverage a trade if there's another team that wants yeah. to give him a contract extension? Is that maybe a scenario that could happen? Sure. I mean, I wouldn't rule out a trade to the Giants. I mean, Dable knows him. Joe Shane knows him. Um, they have a pretty big need at safety right now. It would be absent of uh, them uh, them having their strong safety that they that they wanted to have for this season, but. You know, I'm I'm sure there could there could be something arranged there. The Giants are fixing the, their salary cap. Maybe they want him for the next three years. Give him that that money he desires because they have the cap space to do it. I, I could I could definitely see that happening. Poyer has been part of this for so long that I just wonder if he's like, you know what, screw it, let's just see this thing out because, and I'm sure it would be helped if if they give him the two, three million in this major hypothetical scenario we've built for ourselves here. But at some point you have to realize what the team is willing to do and what they're not willing to do. And that's why I think the team kind of has the leverage here, especially if they were to draft a guy like Kyle Hamilton or even Lewis seen from Georgia, like there's, there's still a quite amount of leverage there from a, from a team perspective and not to say that they would hold it over his head. They were very careful in, you know, giving showering him with praise and, and all of this and how much he's meant to the organization and to what they've done so far that all that's great. But for teams, contracts are projection, not past. And what does Jordan Poyer project in age 32 and age 33 season? And is he going to be anywhere close to an all pro level in those two seasons? Those are the questions that the Bills are asking themselves. And I know it's different positions, but I'm sure he sees what Von Miller just got. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I, whatever translation that is, you want to you want to have, uh, obviously, uh, it's not safety money is not edge rusher money, but I'm sure Jordan Poyer's looking at that and saying, they're banking on this guy performing at 34. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go. Bank on me going at 34. Even if it's good safety money, what is he, the 13th highest paid safety in the NFL mm -hmm. this year? Mm -hmm. um, I'm an all pro man. Get me in the top five. The problem, the problem is top five would get him to 15 million and that's near Von Miller money <laughs> at right. that point. Um, and I don't think they want to do that. You might as well get, you might as well just give it to Kyle Hamilton in four years. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, it's, it's, I think a lot of it has to do with how they project uh, specific positions too. like, like you kind of alluded to the, edge rusher they can age gracefully because not all of them depend solely on speed and the thing that impressed me more about anything than more than anything with von miller is that he did not depend on speed as much as i thought uh he would have at this point in his career so i think he could sustain having a, a really nice um nice couple to three seasons for the bills even though he's up there in age safety there is just there's a like you can get by with instincts a lot of time, but once that speed starts to go and, and you're just a half a second late um, to getting to a running lane to uh, to take down a ball carrier or the whole idea of playing that deep middle and being half a second or a quarter of a second too slow to break up a pass. That's all the difference. Whereas with pass rusher, like you can get by with a lot of physical traits more than anything. 
So that's when the projection of, of safety comes into play. Like how, how much does this player depend on his speed and what does it look like when that speed starts to wane? We saw it the last couple of years, really at, at the wide receiver position with John Brown, you know, losing a step and then Cole Beasley, same deal last year. They just weren't the same players that they were the year prior. And that, that kind of made their decisions easier, easier for them in the off seasons. Skeezier. So what, so what happened? Made, their, it made their decision skeezier, did you say? Easier. I'm sorry. But did you I corrected yourself. Did it say ski? I, I like that. It made their decision skeezier. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, it made their decisions easier because he was, they, they were, they lost a step. So I, I, trust me, I think Jordan Poyer's a really good player. I think he's been awesome for them over the last five years. I'm in no way saying trade him or anything like that. I'm just saying that the Bills should probably start to build for the future at that position because it's so important. And it's not even Poyer. Hyde is 31 as well, and his contract's up in two years. So they've got they've got like a, de- a developing hole where they could have two brand new starting safeties in 2024. And you're probably going to want to have one in place by the time 2023 rolls around that isn't a rookie. And Saran Neal is an important player, but not a high toy no. replacement. Like yeah. if they can get a player with the coverage skills to play all over the secondary, mm-hmm. similar to how Micah Hyde does, and that eventually be the new Micah Hyde, that probably would be the idea, as you mentioned, the, the ideal player to trade up for. Yeah, I think I think they have some hope internally for Tamar Hamlin. Um, and I don't know. I mean, he was just a rookie last year, a late round pick. They liked him a lot last year. They want to see where he goes from here, but that you can't bank on on a late round guy. Uh, so Hamilton, I think he he probably projects best to the Poyer role, but you can use him everywhere. Like they used Saran Neal in spots against tight ends, um, just in man to man coverage last year. And Saran Neal is is fine. He's got the he's got the height, weight, speed, and and arm length going on, but it's just doesn't have that great coverage nuance to him where he tends to tends to lose his man a bunch and there's separation and it leads to some results for the opposing team and they didn't utilize it all that frequently kyle hamilton is the complete opposite of that i mean this guy can do a lot of what you need in in the defensive backfield the only thing that he's not going to be able to do is play boundary cornerback every other role that you could want from him he can do and he does it in a ridiculous six foot four, two hundred twenty pound, thirty three inch arm length package that uh, that I'm sure Brandon Bean just absolutely loves. Sounds yeah, like a young to, Tim Graham. If he's trying <laughs> to get drafted by Brandon Bean, the worst thing he could do is play boundary cornerback. You say? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, there is that one guy, Dax Hill, who who some people are like, okay, well, you can throw him at corner because he's got like um, some good fluidity to him where he can turn and run but my my main question about him is I don't really love him as a as a strong long-term strong safety and so what you would be doing with him in his first year is saying okay go play boundary cornerback uh, in your first year then we're going to switch you to strong safety then we're going to switch you to, to free safety in three straight years that just doesn't sound like Sean McDermott to me but I could be wrong I want to reiterate that I don't think that the Bills should cut Jordan Poyer I know that my um uh, my for instance that I came up with uh, 10 minutes or so ago made it sound like maybe I was a little exuberant about the idea. I'm not, I think he, I'm with Joe. He's a great player. Mm-hmm. I just find it 
weird the the public sentiment on such a good player and how fans can pick and choose uh, who 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 they get behind when it comes to getting a new contract. And um, I just don't think that there's a lot of public sentiment for getting Jordan Poyer paid uh, that I think uh, that he would like to have uh, in terms of a push from a PR standpoint of let's get this guy locked up. He's not going to hear that from the fans. Um, or he's not going to get that too much on social media. Uh, Joe, uh, do the Bills draft a punter? Yes, I think they do. And I have some uh, punter analysis, but I don't want to bore you with it. Just a little. Give us a taste, okay. please. I think the, the top. I think the top two guys in in this year's draft, Areza, who people call punt god, and everybody wants. Um, I did a mock draft mailbag. And 65% of the mock draft submissions had this guy drafted to the Bills. I swear to God, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, everyone loves him. What um, round is, hey, uh, what's, what's the sentiment on the round? It really depended. Some, someone had him in the third. Some people had him go all the way to the seventh. So the range was, was crazy. Um, but it's him and Jordan Stout out of uh, Penn State. And what I find interesting about these two guys is that they're, uh, their high range potential is what the bills wanted their last two punters to be, which were completely different styles. But Horquez was huge leg outkick the coverage and, and, you know, just completely flip the field. Uh, and they wound up not wanting to invest in him because he was too inconsistent um, uh, before he became a free agent. Then and last not a year, great holder. Right. Exactly. Then Matt. Hawk, like, can these guys hold? Cause if they can, I don't <laughs> that's think a great question. It's not on uh, Dane Brugler's scouting reports, I don't think. Um, it should it be, might be actually. I think, because I think be. that's going to matter on this team, isn't it? Yeah, probably will. I, I actually haven't looked, so I don't want to. I don't want to mischaracterize hey. Dane because he does an amazing job. Uh, he, the guy literally kick, wrote thirty thousand more than they punt, right? Yeah. Um, so that that is important. Uh, but the other guy, Stout, is more like Matt Hawk because he's more of precision accuracy pinning a guy pinning a a team within the 10 yard line the five yard line so i will find it very interesting to see which one they that they actually prefer because they have shown both that's just like nerdy punt stuff they got to take stout i think all of the headlines and puns we can use with having a stout (laughs) leg and a stout punter over punt god was that his real name that his birth name punt god yeah punt god it's like god sham god he was their cousins (laughs) god punt god all right. Okay. Yeah. No. If if it is Areza, then it would give us another um, same first name punting competition for the Bills. Like they had Corey Carter versus Corey Bohorquez. Then they had Corey Bohorquez versus Kari Vedvik. So it was like a slant rhyme. And this would give them Matt Hawk versus Matt Areza. I just. I just want to be compelled. You, you, you need stories it. to write about on the 15th day of camp. And that's like the Puntapalooza is real. Uh, Joe, who is this year? And, and Jonah, I'd like to bring you in on this. You're going to be covering the draft uh, for the Associated Press uh, this week. So I know that you have your thoughts yeah. too. The punter day, who, third day. Who is the Ben Simmons <laughs> of this year's NFL draft class? Wow. Who's the number one pick? I think Ben Simmons is in the news for other things and being oh. the number one pick lately. I mean, 
Uh, maybe Joe can take this because maybe he understands where you're going with this. I, I, I don't, don't even know where you're going with it. A dog, uh, a flop, uh, a quitter, uh, a guy who comes up with plantar fasciitis and migraine headaches, uh, a guy who is unreliable despite everything that was put upon him, a guy who just doesn't want to play, a guy who fiddle I don't fucks know. around I mean, for a lot of money. Sounds like I got a guy you don't want to draft. <laughs> right. Exactly. Cross them your my board. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. All right. Well, I think ben, it's interesting that you say that about Ben. Simmons. Is there a guy you want to stay away from? Is there plutonium in this draft? I mean, I don't know. So Ben Simmons kind of dogged in college, and I don't think he quit on his team, but wasn't an effective player in the NCAA tournament and didn't help LSU very much. And it seems like maybe the 76ers should have seen that come in, even though now he's on the Nets. But anyways. I don't know. Some of these guys that don't play in their bowl games is that, I don't know if any of that's been looked at. Is that a red flag for NFL potential? Does that not have what, pulling out of bowl it? games? Yeah. Yeah. Is that something, I mean, I, Tim's kind of fabricating a hot take in my own head, but that's, that's maybe where I'd start <laughs> looking at that guys that quit on their college team. Maybe they're going to quit on their pro team. Um, I don't think NFL teams care. <laughs> I think they would rather them be healthy than anything. Yeah, I wonder, uh, do they care if a guy has been transferred to five teams or he was bouncing all over college football and wasn't a good college football team? Yeah. They, they seem to say they care about those things. Yeah, I think the Bills would investigate each circumstance uh, because they really don't like to – they don't like to put negative attitudes within their locker room um, in terms of draft prospects. And so they they usually strive for – salt of the earth guys um and they've they've done a lot of that like some of them some Try of them are are are, cra- are crazy in their own way but they're they're good natured like ed oliver i don't know what the hell he's talking about half the time when 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 we're talking to him but he's hilarious and and he really works at his craft and that's the tryhard is 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 the exact right way to put it yeah, I think I think they invest in that. They invest time in that stuff and try to talk to friends of friends and the the bartenders just outside the the um, the college area to try and figure out what the real scoop is on these guys rather than just getting fluff from coaches and you know teammates and things like that that have their that player's best interest in mind. Uh, as we transition into real quick uh, NBA playoff talk, uh, Jonah and I have had this discussion before. I know his thoughts on it, Joe. I mean, or if you guys talk between yourselves here, who is the more frustrating playoff personality? I can't even say player because they're not playing. Ben Simmons or Zion Williamson? Zion Williamson might actually make it onto the court at some point if uh, New Orleans keeps playing the way it's it's, it's been playing. I know. I, I didn't they rule? I thought they ruled Zion out. Yeah, he's out. Um, he's yeah. out for the for the for the whole thing. Like even yeah. if they advance. I mean, yeah. maybe I don't think they've cemented that, but I mean, he's dunking between his legs in warmups. He probably could have played twice. Right, that's so the I don't thing. See why he's going to play later? That's the thing. He's doing full court workouts for the last three weeks or whatever the hell it's been. But what's 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 he missing? Why can't he play seven minutes? Why can't he get out there and give him give him some good shifts? To borrow a hockey term it's fair uh, I, I out of the question you just asked i would probably say zion is more frustrating just because this pelicans team would be legit 
with him in the lineup. Like they're really good right now and they're pushing Phoenix. Brandon Ingram is, has gone to a different level. He's been so much fun to, to watch this whole year. As soon as McCollum got there, there was like a feeling out process between those, between those two guys for like a good, like five, six, seven games. For some reason, I watch a lot of Pelicans games. Don't, don't judge me. Um, I saw and, him live this season. You did? Oh yeah. Where? In New Orleans when the bills played Thanksgiving. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Oh um, yeah. I'm all, I'm all up in the Pelicans business. You big Jose Alvarado, Alvarado fan? Pelicans. Oh, Jose Alvarado. He's the hiding in the corner. Listen, on ask, the inbounds. ask Mark on about Jose Alvarado when you see him this week. Just tell well, him. I want to say Jose Alvarado. Nah, I want Mark to tell you what. Like, he was like off the bench, like junior varsity minutes when I saw him play. Uh-huh. Did he and come on later like, in the season? Yeah, he's yeah. like a Shaq core guy. Game ball last yeah. Night. yeah, it was like uh, the Pelicans were up by 20 or whatever, and he finally came in in the last four minutes of the game. And I was like, what the fuck is this I'm watching? It's a Tasmanian devil, like zipping yeah. through trees. and He looks yeah. like the kind of cornerback the Bills need. <laughs> he, he intercepts a lot of passes, steals, steals a lot of uh, – makes a lot awesome. of turnovers happen. Their, their team is just – like if they have that Zion element, they have Ingram, they have McCollum, uh, they've got a big in Valanchunas who's who can give you really good minutes. Uh, Herb Jones is awesome as a rookie. Oh, yeah. um, Alvarado is is super fun as a you know sixth seventh man. Um, they've got some depth in Devonte Graham that can come off the bench and, and give you some some uh, hot streak shooting. No relation, right? Yeah, Devonte and Tim. But if Zion was there. I think they could challenge to to go to the to the finals. I really do. I would say I'm going to answer Tim's question this way. Maybe I'll just go on and on answering it multiple ways. But I'm more frustrated that Zion Williams is not playing because I think he's one of the most fun and exciting players to watch. And I yeah, think that too. I think he's healthy. I mean, I don't really want to question somebody's physical health, but he had a foot surgery in the off season, and it's been talked about like he was coming back any week now since preseason. It seems like he could have gotten out there and tried it at some point. And it does seem like he's sitting out and, and playing a long game towards getting traded or moved out of that market and really never playing for the Pelicans again. In terms of what Tim asked, with which team should be more frustrated, you got to be frustrated if you're the Nets because you traded mm-hmm. away James Harden. You didn't think Ben Simmons had a back injury and wasn't going to play in the playoffs. The Nets thought they were adding him in. Now they don't have him. They don't have Harden either. Um I think they're the most frustrated team because they're built to win now. They they had this issue with Kyrie Irving not playing the but home isn't game that the same thing with New team. Orleans? That was the number one overall pick. Yeah, and we I think built that we have this team that, as Joe says, if this guy's on the court, we're we're a contender. Yeah, but they're a little. They snuck into the playoffs a little bit. I think, it, and partly in New Orleans, I think they'd be fine with letting Zion Williams sit out the whole season if they think they're getting them back next year. If this is part of the long game towards getting traded to New York. Yeah. I'm sure the fan base is very frustrated that another number one picks pushing his way out of there and didn't even play nearly as many games as Anthony Davis did in that city. But there's still hope that maybe, maybe he's like Kawhi Leonard and just wants to take a full year to recover and then he'll come back healthy next year. I know there's other things with Zion Williamson. He needs to get in shape. There's other aspects to his game that still need to improve. Um, I think overall, with how good John Morant is, New Orleans fans might be frustrated with Zion Williamson's career, how it's played out so far. With Ben Simmons, do you think um, because he was he was slated to come back Game Four, 
and we're obviously taping this before game four happened. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that because they went down 3-0, they chose to shut them down rather than force them back in because like, well, probably not coming back at, at this point because it's so it's such uh, a statistical yeah. anomaly to come back from 3-0 in the NBA. I think that's part of it. Absolutely. But I also think there might be a little bit of a physical health standpoint to where, they, you know, they haven't said he's not coming back at all. He's not playing game four. Yeah. So if they happen to win two, three games without him, you know, he still might come back later in the playoffs. I think they exactly. thought, and there's probably a disconnect between him and, and there's a mental and physical health component. And maybe he also isn't so comfortable coming back this late in the season. He's played all year. He's never played with these teammates. Mm-hmm. It does seem like an odd situation to throw him into an elimination game in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, totally right. So maybe if they did somehow come back and win the series, maybe he plays in the next series. Um, but again, from the fan standpoint, I think it's frustrating. The Nets with two of the 10 best players in the world, Kevin Durant, one of the very best players that this was supposed to be a, the best first round series. And there've been competitive games, but it seemed like it's going to be a competitive series. And I think it's disappointing that the Nets weren't at full health and we couldn't see a better showing from one of the marquee franchises with marquee players in these playoffs. I think this has shown how impressive the Celtics are because they did the first two games without Time Lord, and Robert Williams was outstanding um, throughout the entire season, and now they have that defensive presence back in there to go with Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown. Tatum has ascended into a superstar like – it, it might just be bad luck that they, they went against the Celtics rather than, um, you know, maybe they even might have pushed the Bucks a little bit more than, than they would have the Celtics. The Celtics are, have just been on, on a heater since, I don't know, they're, game They're the 50. best defensive team in the league. Yeah, very well awesome. coaching. Very well how Brad Stevens moves up from the GM. Danny Ainge gets moved out and they hire a new coach. It did seem like mm-hmm. maybe there was a – you know, you weren't so sure how that was going to play out with all those changes, and they didn't start the season so great, and some young players, whether they get along or not. And now, yeah, they look like a team that could win the championship. And Mm -hmm. beating the Nets, who have a lot of talent the way they have so far in this series, is very impressive. Have we changed our minds on who the favorite is to win the whole thing based on what we've seen here uh, through the uh, playoffs so far? Who was the favorite? Yeah. I'm asking you. I'm asking you guys who you maybe would have picked and has your has your opinion changed here in the last week or week and a half. I'm wondering who the betting favorite was. I know the Nets, even with their record, hung up near the top. Yeah, they were up there. If not the the Suns team. were up there too. Yeah, the Suns were the best team in the regular season, and I guess the mathematical favorite, they have Devin Booker injured. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bucks, who are they the favorite? They won the championship last year. They're looking pretty good, I think. And then Middleton just got hurt, though. So right, that's a middle, big yeah. Thing. So, I think it's it's pretty wide open, and the Celtics look like a possible favorite, and maybe they didn't look like that. I, I think Celtics fans, especially, probably saw this coming coming into the playoffs. But I don't think everybody realized how yeah. good the Celtics were coming down the stretch. Um, but it's another. It's similar to last year. It's another weird playoffs where some of the very best players and the very best teams aren't playing either due to injury or the Lakers not making it. And I mean, I guess the Suns and the Bucks are the best team in the league, but if they play again for the championship, I, I don't know if I'm that excited to see that again and really feel like the best players and the best teams are uh, playing for the title two years in a row. I think my optimal uh, finals here is Celtics Warriors. It's because two different styles, um, who's going to have to blink in terms of who's on the court, who's not, because the 
the Warriors go with this ridiculous small lineup that is just so effective and so efficient with Jordan Poole and Draymond and Steph and Clay and Andrew Wiggins. Like they don't have a natural big out there. And can Williams or Robert Williams survive in, in that sort of way? The Celtics like to play two bigs at once usually. So what really gives when, when they get to that point? Um, I, I would be just from a, you know, scheming standpoint, I think that would be my, my favorite possible finals matchup. Philly would be fun too, but yeah, Joel they're going to, they're going to get beat up you. against Miami. Yeah. <laughs> well, Joe, thanks for sticking around for an hour and 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. That wasn't uh, too much of your afternoon, but you filed okay. your big story. You're on the come down. You're decompressing. This is like, uh, you know, easing. Maybe you need to go take a nap. Maybe, maybe. Put a nice probably, bag on your head. I'll probably just wind up thinking about what my first round of my mock draft is going to look like on Thursday. <laughs> it's, 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 it's that week where it's just like, okay, there's, there's no escape about what's, what's, what's going to happen this week. What's good? Like what, what is uh, satisfying? And do, how do you score your draft? Because there are trades involved. Do you go yeah. by position by team? Like, is there, how do you justify the different maneuvers and uh, how do you score yourself? How do you, I think, well, there's, there's some sites out there that score your mock draft and put it comparatively with the rest of the country. Um, I think fantasy pros does that. I think the huddle report does that if I'm not mistaken. Um, but and are you in there? I was in fantasy pros last year. Uh, I didn't know it until like two weeks ago <laughs> uh, when they, then they tweeted like, Hey, these, these people were in our mock draft competition last year. And I'm like, wait, how'd you what, do what, what I was, uh, I, I came in 15th somehow. I don't know. Out of how many? Seventeen? Uh, hundreds? hundreds I th- yes, I was right. 17. Joe, Joe is a fantasy football pro. I would call him that as a player and a commissioner. I appreciate you. I appreciate you for saying that. Joe um, knows what he's doing. Joe is the, uh, he is the standard. And always has been. And I think it's because he puts a little too much time into it that I, I'm, I'm not willing to do it. Yeah, Again, it I goes think, back to what we started off at the beginning. I, I, I'm at the surface, man. I, I'm not going to – I mean, I'll give you some analysis on, on what I see and what I know from the Bills. But going to – you know, uh, like putting together a mock draft and who the best – you know, this and that, who's the best guard in this year's draft. You know, what about this guy from Central Michigan? I mean, who the hell knows what he's going to be? Central Michigan's got, got two offensive linemen. Two offensive linemen uh, that were invited to the combine and did Central Michigan, how many games did Central Michigan win? I don't That's know. a great question. Here, here's the fun. You know, Mr. Mid-American here's- Conference. Oh, yeah, good point. Central yeah, Michigan. I wasn't even listening. I was thinking about something I wanted to say about Joe, but. All right. Go, go ahead and uh, say what you got to say about Joe, and then we got to let him go. <laughs> well, no, I was just, I was thinking in what you said, you know, I don't, I tire a lot of the draft analysis too, especially when it in January, February, even earlier than that. It's such a long pre-draft season. But Joe's been doing this 15, 20 years at least, uh, analyzing the draft and for multiple outlets. So I, I think I, I like hearing what he has to say, reading his articles. And, and so I do like Joe. I don't wish there – I don't like the Joe B's that have been spawned underneath Joe B and that there's 10, 15 Joe B's in every different market now. It's kind of saturated. But if it was just back in the day where it was like Mel Kuyper and Joe B and that was all the draft analysts I got, 
I'd be happy with that. And the Buffalo News, Mark God, I've always liked his kind of. Yeah, Mark does a great job. Down the draft. He's been doing it for a long time, too. Yeah, I wonder Mark. if Joe knows this so well that he can tell me today on Monday what my day three lead's going to be on Saturday. Because that would be uh, nice if I could get that pre-written. Well, the uh, good thing leave, is, Jonah, leave you with have punt multiple, God. You have punt more God. rounds. Might be it. You have a lot of rounds to choose from. You can just go with the best story. It doesn't have to be the guy who was drafted in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Right. You it have can more be whoever options. you want. Yeah. But it's going to be somebody's going to have a, a family connection. So, so he's going to be the son of a uh, Hall of Famer or some shit. Yeah. Or quarterback. Uh, Central Michigan. Central Michigan won nine games last year, nine and four overall, six and two in the conference. Oh, I don't know the funny that. thing Why about that. I did ask you. <laughs> You know, the funny thing about um, the, the whole draft and, you know, studying up on it, I, I'm like you, Tim. I do not watch college football during the year. I, I just can't do it. Same, same kind of deal. Like Saturday is my off day from football where I just need to recharge the batteries or travel to whatever destination we're going to. And then once the playoffs are done or the bills are eliminated from the playoffs, that's when I start to dig into draft prospects. I also find it like easier for me to be so disconnected from college football. So that way I don't have preconceived notions of the players when I go to watch them. And that helps me analyze them from a pro perspective rather than like, Oh, did you see this guy in his performance in, in the national semifinals, stuff like that. It's like, no, I didn't. I don't know. I don't know anything about that, but, but I'll, there's I'll a reason it. people who win the Heisman trophy uh, don't always work out in the NFL. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, lighten it up against TCU uh, versus how does this guy project as uh, as a left tackle in the AFC East is a bit different. Mm-hmm. A bit. For sure. Quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Joe, thank you for this. Yeah, thanks for having Jonah, me. Thank you as always. I meant to bring it up earlier. I got away from me, but the old dirty bastard shirt is fantastic. Probably yes, okay, could have I'll, I'll been. I'll take it. It actually doesn't say. Oh, it's ODB, not ODB. What take, is it? It looked like ODB. What is it? QDA. QDA, yes. That's uh, that's the gym where I work out at, Quarter Deck Athletics. I see. Which, wait, let me just tie this into the podcast real quick. Last week I said I was going to the gym and I was hoping that some of the pro wrestlers would be there. And it turns out, because it's right by the arena, it turns out while we were doing this podcast with John Vogel last Monday, CrossFit Jesus, Seth Rollins, and his wife, Becky Lynch, were actually working out at my gym at that time. So if we weren't doing this podcast, I would have been down there clanging and banging the weights with those two. Super. I'll be damned. But I was here instead doing my duties to TGIF and our listeners. Uh, Hey, uh, before we go, as I like to do, I want to remind everybody, well, go watch the, let's see how I can phrase this without uh, stepping in at uh, some sort of trademark violation. Go watch the pro football rookie selection process uh, this week. All your uh, professional basketball postseason action, um, professional at the highest level baseball games. Um, RJ's last call. Are we pro, violating any? I think I don't think RJ is. Yeah, uh, you can do all of that stuff and all the pay per views. You know, there was a big boxing match over the weekend. Watch all of that at Amherst Pizza and Ale House at 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off of Millersport Highway in the 990. Amherst Pizza and Ale House, TVs indoors, outdoors, 
Awesome patio. Check it all out now that the weather's getting better and you can bet legally on all this stuff in New York. Recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. Um, stop in or call for takeout and delivery. This is Amherst Pizza and Alehouse I'm talking about. 716-625-7100. Again, 716-625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Alehouse. Joey, much Penny. love. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you giving your insights, scooping your own Buffalo Beat podcast. You will now have nothing left to talk about with Matt Beauvais tomorrow. No, there will be uh, like, it'll actually just be me tomorrow. Um, and oh. there will be. Uh, All by yourself? Yeah, because I'm doing a Q&A style. So I see. I yeah, see. so uh, I, there have been at least eight punter questions asked so far on the tweet. So we're, we're doing well. Well, I'm glad we didn't dive too much into that. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to spoil your, your hot takes on the punter. Mm. Uh, thanks for this. Thank yep. you, Jonah. And thank you to everyone out there for watching slash listening. Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.